The waters are rough out there, Laura. Hmm. I hadn't noticed. Just kidding, Michelle. Yes, it has been rough. It's a good thing we're in the business of smoothing the rough edges of our ever-changing world. Hi, I'm Laura Richer, the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a licensed therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. If you catch yourself trapped in a sea of worry, sadness, guilt, shame, or fear, this show is for you. We're here every week to help you navigate the choppy seas of romance, anxiety, grief, toxic relationships, and past trauma. That's why our show is called Holding Ground. We are here to hold space for you, your doubts, and your worries, and to show you a way through. Every Monday, listen live at 9 a.m. here on KKNW. If you miss us, you can find us streaming on all podcast platforms. We are here holding ground for you. Good morning. Welcome to Holding Ground. My name is Laura Richer, and I'm the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. I'm also a licensed psychotherapist. And today I am joined by my co-host, Michelle Mooney, who is a licensed couples and trauma therapist. And we are here every Monday morning on KKNW talking to you about a little bit of everything in the world of therapy and positive mental health. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Laura. Good morning to our listeners. We want to remind everyone, if you are interested in discovering how therapy might help you achieve your goals, please visit anchorlighttherapy.com slash get started for your complimentary consultation. Fantastic. Well, today me and Michelle are going to be talking about one of the foundational pieces of the Gottman method, which is a type of couples therapy that was developed by researchers at the University of Washington, Drs. John and Julie Gottman. And the reason we wanted to talk about this is because all of our anchor light therapists are Gottman trained. And we use this method with couples all of the time. So we wanted to share a little more information. So today we're going to be talking about what the Gottmans call um, the sound house. And the sound house is the foundational theory around relationships. And you can learn more about, well, just Google the Gottman method and you'll find tons of research online. But you can also go to the Gottman Relationship Coach where they will explain a little bit more about their method and how it all works. So the sound house is the guiding, the guiding principle of how to develop the foundation of your relationship. So in John Gottman's uh, book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, he talked about what a foundationally secure partnership looks like. And he used the metaphor of it looking like a house. It has weight bearing walls and levels that each person builds upon to create a sturdy bond. And again, he called this, this the sound relationship house. So for more than 20 years, it's given countless couples the tools they need to have a happy and healthy relationship. And so we're gonna get into exactly today what the sound relationship house is exactly and and how you can use that to make your relationship better. So Michelle, kick it off with the first floor. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Remembering this is a house. So envisioning a house and there's several floors to the house. So the bottom floor, the, you know, the one that we need to start with always with our partners is building love maps. Floor one is build love maps. So um, this begins with a firm foundation of knowing one another. Um, and it's um, called a love map. So, which is essentially a guide to your partners in our world. So knowing what they like, what they dislike, who's your partner's best friend, 
Uh, did they have a happy childhood? How did they prefer to relax at the end of the day? Um, so building love maps really means asking the right questions to your partner. And ideally, you and your partner would know each other better than anybody else. Yes. And so when I'm working with couples, it's interesting because we naturally do this early on in relationships. We're so curious about every detail about our partner and their life experience and, and what they like, what they don't like. And then as time goes by, sometimes it's easy, you know, when you're not in that infatuation stage anymore, it's easy to kind of make the assumption that I already know everything about this person. There's nothing mm -hmm. new for me to learn about them. I've been with them for 20 years. And in fact, that often is not the case. Sometimes when I'm working with couples, the longer they've been together, the more kind of disconnected they've become from knowing their partner and their, their love maps. Do you ever notice that, Michelle? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're right, we get kind of fixated on that. Well, when I met him, his best friend was John and his favorite food was pizza. And, you know, we build this idea of who our partner is. And then we carry that along with us, you know, and we change as humans over time, our chase taste changes, our friends groups changes, our, you know, ultimate goals, all of that. So we have to remain curious. And it's interesting because when I'm working on this one with couples, um, I actually have an intervention I use. It's kind of like a game where they're asking these questions to one another and, you know, who's your best friend and the other one has to, you know, guess or, you know, answer, hopefully correct. And it's interesting watching couples who have been together for a long time, you know, oh, I don't know your favorite song, right? I don't know your favorite musical instrument so it's fun and they get to reconnect and learn these things about one another yes and you know even deeper questions that maybe we don't naturally just think up to to check in with them you know when you're in your day-to-day -day routine like what are your dreams for the future how have those changed or you know what would make you feel really safe and loved in our relationship mm -hmm. sometimes we assume that we would know those things but but often people don't they've created so many stories around who the person is or who they were in the past that that they really you know need to do exercises to get to know each other now so the Gottmans have all these cards that you can buy and there's other people mm -hmm. besides the Gottmans who have cards with just tons of questions and I was working I'm working with a couple right now who's been together for uh, over 20 years and now their kids are you know on their way out and they're about it's about to be just the two of them again and they realize, wow, we, you know, we've been so busy raising kids and, and doing all of the, you know, things, careers, all of that. We kind of have lost touch with each other. So they were talking about how they got some of the Gottman's cards and were asking each other questions and ended up having like this deep three hour conversation that they would have never really had had they not taken the initiative to kind of reconnect with each other. So that's something that love maps really can do for you is, is really, you know, open up big conversations that you would otherwise probably not have. Right, right, exactly. All so right. Laura, what is the next floor of our sound house? So the next floor is shared fondness and admiration. And again, this become this is so easy in the infatuation state of uh, a relationship that you just you just love the sound of the other person's name. You have these ro rose colored glasses on. You just hold them up on this pedestal and you see all of these amazing things about them, maybe how talented they are or, or how kind they are, all of the positive qualities they have in their life and, and to their personality. And you can really just appreciate those things. And that can be very easy in the beginning. And usually it is, that's what kind of attracts us to people right off the bat. But then as time goes on, 
sometimes that can become more challenging. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And I think the most important one that is good to recognize and that is very natural, it has nothing to do with your partner or their character or who they are, is that our minds are always looking for negativity, that it is mm-hmm. a defense mechanism that we have. It is so that we can identify threats in our environment and it's necessary to our survival. But sometimes it works against us. So I might start to become aware of things that I don't like in my partner and it will be, and I might perceive those as threatening. Maybe this person is going to abandon me or betray me in some sort of way. And so it's very easy for the mind to fixate on those um, traits. Our minds just naturally want to go towards the negative. So when we think about the second floor of of the house uh, for shared fondness and admiration, sometimes it takes a little work and really you want to, adopt the motto of, you know, I want to look for my part. I want to catch my partner doing something right. I want to catch my partner doing something positive. And, and then the second piece of that is not only catching them doing it, identifying it, but to, is to express that to them. Wow. I so appreciate that you had dinner for me when I got home after a long day at work. That was so helpful. I really, appreciate that you think of me in that way or wow you look really great in those pair of jeans you know your legs look (laughs) fantastic but really sometimes we think too you know I mean I've been with this person for 20 years of course I like them well I don't really need to say it anymore and in fact that is not true it can go a long way in deepening your friendship and your connection with someone if you can let them know how you feel about them. So Michelle, do you have any examples of where this has been helpful in couples therapy where, you, where you've prompted clients to practice sharing fondness and admiration? Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, I think you're right about, you know, the longer we're with somebody, you know, of course they know how I feel about them. And so, but as we're in a relationship and we progress, things like this, the sharing fondness, the sharing admiration, they can kind of fade because of that. So working with couples to, you know, I'll have them even do it in session, right? Okay, as we close today, you know, share some fondness and admiration as we close out the session and, you know, practice this uh, throughout the week, at least a couple of times a day, right? I, like you said, I appreciate you make, making dinner or taking the kids to their soccer game, or, you know, I really appreciate how you can make me laugh like no one else can. All these little things, just really um, practicing this again. And so, cause we feel better if we're the partner hearing this, we feel better. We know our partner um, is still, you know, in love with us, still wants to be around us and then we want to give them the same um the same uh, words of affirmation the same fondness yes and so you know i had a client years ago whose uh, spouse had had an affair and they were trying to they were trying to work through it but it really wasn't going very well and she had said to me you know the reason that he likes this person is because she, you know, just builds him up all the time and tells him how great he is. And she's not, she doesn't know him like I do and just give him that honest, direct feedback of what he's doing wrong, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that that's true. We do, we want to be built up. We are going to gravitate towards people who give us positive feedback. That is very natural. And of course you want a partner who will also be honest with you and give you constructive feedback when it's needed. But yes, people are drawn to people who who have a sense of affection for them. Um, so oftentimes I think that gets lost in relationships and people will think, well, I'm just, you know, telling them how it is so that they can be a better person. But that's not really an effective strategy in creating closeness in your relationship. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think you bringing up the piece about the affair is important because, yeah, I've seen a, a couple of clients where they're not engaging in what we would call a traditional affair where, you know, there's sex involved or love involved. It's just these are these little moments maybe with somebody at work, they feel appreciated, they feel noticed, right? Because this also helps us feel noticed. It helps us feel seen as people. So um, when we get that somewhere else, we're not getting it in our relationship. It's very alluring. So we want to keep doing this, um, you know, the same way we did when we were in that early infatuation phase. Exactly. And, you know, when you think about people that you choose as friends, not as romantic partners, um, usually we do have some sort of fondness or admiration for our friends that we, there is a reason why we choose to have them in our lives. But for some reason with our partners, we can move away from that. And mm -hmm. all of the Gottman research and other research in terms of uh, long-term relationships shows that people who sustain fulfilling long-term relationships have a good friendship with each other. So this is one of the, the main building blocks. Right, right. Well, Laura, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue with the floors of our sound house. Um, just a reminder, find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, so check us out on those um, platforms and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Holding Ground on KKMW every Monday morning at 9 a.m. And we are talking today about the Gottman Method in couples therapy and the foundational structural structure of a relationship, which the Gottmans call the sound house. And so we were just discussing, if you missed it in the previous segment, the first two parts of building a structurally sound relationship on the first floor, we have building love maps, which has to do with getting to know your partner and, and continuing to know your partner and their inner world. The second floor that we talked about is sharing fondness and admiration with your partner. And so now, Michelle, let's talk about the third house or the third floor. Sorry. What is the third floor of the sound house? Laura, this floor is really important. It is turning towards. So when we need attention, support, comfort from our partner, um, we're likely to say something or make a gesture towards our partner to elicit a response from them. So the Gottmans call this a bid. It's a bid for attention. I'm, I'm bidding for you to respond to me in some sort of way. Um, so your partner turns towards you when they reply to that bid. So um, a, a generalized example is, let's say, I, you 
know, I'm, I'm seeking some sort of attention or connection to my partner. He's watching TV. I noticed something outside of the window, you know, oh my gosh, did you see that beautiful bird fly by? And if he keeps sitting there eating a cereal, watching TV, he's not even responding in any sort of way. That's called turning away. Um, and those little uh, bits of looking for connection, of course, there can be bigger ones. Um, if they're not answered, if your partner is not turning towards you, this can really lead to um, feeling lonely in the relationship. And feeling lonely in a relationship is worse than feeling lonely when we're single, right? So this can be a huge predictor of um, relationships not working out. Yes, and it's interesting because these are all really small things usually, but over time, not acknowledging these these small attempts for connection or these small bids for connection can be really damaging to the relationship. So if I say, oh, what a beautiful sunset, and you don't respond to me over time, that will feel like abandonment. Mm -hmm. Now, the person on the other side of that might just be like, just, you know, oh yeah, there is a sunset, but they're not, a, they're not saying anything. They don't feel like it's something that warrants a response. And so sometimes people don't realize that in that not responding, you might just think like, oh yeah, you know, that doesn't require any feedback. But it, when your partner is coming to you with a comment or, you know, just, just something small, a, a hand touching your shoulder and you don't respond in, in any sort of way that is perceived as rejection. Right. Exactly. And I have many couples over the years, not real, and it's not even intentional sometimes. They didn't really realize it. I was working with a couple of uh, clients years ago where she, he would bring topics to her that she did not have interest in. And so she wouldn't really respond to him. Um, I think they were around sports or something like that, that he'd be like, oh, my favorite team won, you know? And, and she thought, well, you know, I don't care about football. So I don't even know why you're saying this to me and wouldn't really... <laughs> acknowledge it in any sort of way. And, and with that, I think that's such a great example because it's really not about the sport or the team. It's about why is your partner wanting to share this information with you? What is it about his or her team winning that feels important to her? What is, what are they trying to tell you about their experience? So sometimes it's not about the comment. It's about what is associated with that comment. Do you ever see people turning away in relationship, Michelle, and then maybe they don't even realize that's what they're doing? Yeah, yeah, like you said, it's pretty frequent, right? Because you're, you're saying that, you know, if somebody thinks that a response isn't even required, they're not going to respond. And like you said, those little moments of I'm putting my hand on your shoulder, and let's say the partner just stands firm, or maybe even, um, so we can reject a bit. So, you know, there's turning away, and then there's turning again. So maybe your partner shudders, maybe your partner walks away or rolls their eyes, that that's really gonna add, a, have a big impact over time. But yeah, couples, that's another thing I ask them to practice outside of session. And um, so it's something that is very important. And the more we practice it and get back into that, because again, I think early on in relationships, we're much better at doing these things, much better at maintaining and growing and nurturing the relationship. And as we lose that over time, um, that can really just be something that slips away unintentionally for the most part. Yes. And I think phones have had a huge impact on this. Oh, as gosh. Well. People are yeah. so lost in their phones that they, they're so zoned out, they might not even hear their partner's bid for connection. Exactly. Or exactly. screens. Yeah. So that's yeah. definitely yeah. With this, the invention of smartphones, something we have to be even more aware of because this can't, some of these small things people do not realize can be hugely damaging to you, to your relationship. And you made a really good point too, is 
in these situations, if you're ignoring bids for connection or not acknowledging them, that's painful. If you're actually turning against your partner in those moments when they're trying to connect with you with, with, with contempt, with eye rolls, with a big sigh, mm -hmm. like, oh, don't you see I'm busy? That, that can be really toxic in a yeah. relationship. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up phones because yeah, that's a way we turn away from our partner consistently now. Again, not intentionally, it's just become such a habit. So, you know, doing things like intentionally spending time together without your phones will really probably increase the, um, you know, the connection, the bids being answered, the bids being turned towards. Um, so um, yeah, the smartphones is a new one in relationships that uh, is definitely something to navigate. Yes. Yeah, so we have to all be mindful of our screen time now. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's, there's some other things too, like a, a bid for physical connection often will get um, shut down with contempt because maybe the one partner feels, you know, that the timing is bad or that mm -hmm. they're, you know, busy with the kids or their work or whatever. And that's another thing I see come up consistently is if, if you shut down your partner's bid for physical connection, it is, it is experienced as, as a deep rejection. Mm -hmm. I think it was Brene's Brown's research. She uh, researches shame and vulnerability. And in some of her vulnerability research, when she asked people what made them feel the most vulnerable, it was initiating physical connection with their partners and being rejected. So that mm -hmm. most humans are going to experience that as a painful experience. And so that's something we want to be mindful of. And it's not that just because your partner has a bid for physical connection that you need to be responsive to it. It may be a bad time and not work for you. And that's completely fine. But you do want to handle it in a way that doesn't feel um, like you're turning against them. Right, right. Something like, you know what, I have to finish up this quick email or whatever it is, you know, I'll join you soon. Something like that where you're <laughs> acknowledging, you know, and appreciating what the bid, but also letting them know, hey, you know, we have to do this a little bit later, but I'm really interested and I'm excited. So yeah, and that rejection piece, Laura, when we initiate and we feel rejected over time, that I've seen this in couples that that partner doesn't want to initiate anymore because now they feel like, well, I'm just going to be rejected. So they feel like, okay, the only way we're going to connect physically is if they initiate. Um, so that, that can be really damaging too. It's very, um, you know, it takes away empowerment from um, that person. Yes. Yeah. And over time, just that erodes the relationship, you know, and one or right. two experiences like this is most likely not going to be a deal breaker, but it really, you don't, if you're, tr you're making bids for connection that are constantly rejected, you're going to lose trust in your relationship over time. Mm -hmm. and, and you're going to start to create a negative narrative around what all of that means, whether it's true or not. And it's just, you know, not a good practice if you want to have a healthy long-term relationship. And that where trust is important, because I think we think of that in a lot of terms of, oh, I don't trust my partner to not step outside of the marriage, something like that. But trust in this situation is just trust that my partner is going to be there for me. Trust that my partner is somebody I can emotionally connect with, physically connect with, you know, trusting the structure, right, of, yeah. of the relationship. Yeah, that you're going to be there to to soothe me or comfort me or or meet my emotional or physical needs in, in some capacity. So yeah, right. right. Turning so turn towards, towards, not again. Yeah. <laughs> 
So let's get to number four. I think this is so important. And again, this is kind of like number two. So this is the positive perspective. Again, our minds are very good at identifying negative things and things that we don't like. Um, but you know, a lot of life is how you look at it. If you're looking for negative things, you will find them. If you're looking for positive things, you will most likely find them as well. And so that's what we want to practice is looking for the positive perspective. Couples in healthy relationships are really careful about how they, they give criticism in their relationship, or I don't even want to call it criticism. I want to say feedback. Feedback. Yeah. <laughs> so if it's criticism, it's probably destructive. Feedback can be healthy and it is a necessary part of the relationship, but criticism has a, a negative uh, association. Like you do this the wrong way, always and never. Your intention was to hurt me. There, there's an assumption of negative intent. Feedback can be like, hey, when this happened, this was how it made me feel. And I'd like to see it different in the future, maybe look like this. So it's just that's, that's kind of the distinction there. And when we're operating from a positive perspective, it's easy to give feedback because you're not assuming that your partner has a negative in intention. Um, so some other things, if you don't have a positive perspective, you will start to create narratives about what your partner's behavior means. So for example, let's say I'm planning to meet you for dinner at a restaurant after work and you're a half an hour late. If I don't have a positive perspective, if I'm not assuming good intentions in my partner, I might go, well, there it is. He's late again. He doesn't care about my time. He was obviously just doing something to, because he doesn't care about me to just get here late and make me look silly sitting here at this table all by myself. If I have a positive perspective, I might go, oh, I wonder why he was late. Maybe he, well, maybe there was traffic. Maybe he got stuck at work. Maybe I'll ask him why he was late instead mm -hmm. of going to a place of assumption where I'm already upset before we've even started interacting with each other. Yeah. Yeah. It comes to that phrase, like, let's be curious instead of furious, right? Let, let's investigate maybe why this is happening versus, you know, just uh, assuming and then getting really mad. And so something that can really influence this and get in the way of the positive perspective is if we do have some sort of trauma history of been either through childhood or past relationships where we see a similar behavior and we identify that as a red flag, even though our partner has nothing to do with it, somehow it reminds us, um, so for example, I had a client a while back that when she was growing up, she was not allowed in the kitchen. Anytime she would go in the kitchen to, you know, try to cook something, her mother would hover over her, tell her she's doing it wrong, telling her she's going to burn the house down. All of this really negative, unfortunate treatment from her mom around the kitchen. So now when her and her husband, um, they live together, obviously, and she's cooking for them. If he says something like, hey, do you want to add some salt? Or maybe we should try this cheese again. It really activates that trauma response. So she's just automatically assuming like, you know, she's going back to that place versus, you know, that positive perspective would be, you know, okay, I appreciate you, you know, helping me, you know, I appreciate you wanting to, you know, make a suggestion, you know, participating in this versus, you know, she really just automatically went to and being criticized, right? So things like that can get in the way. So there, there's some extra work to be done with couples like that. Um, but obviously you can get to the positive perspective over time. Yes. And that is an excellent point. And if you missed last week's episode of Holding Ground, you might want to check it out because we talked about um, attachment styles. 
And if you have an insecure attachment style, whether that's an anxious attachment or an avoidant attachment, attachment, it really is going to influence your ability to have positive, a positive perspective because you have past trauma that is informing how you react in relationships. And with individual therapy, you can act, you can definitely work through those issues, become aware of them so that you can start to change them. But when you're unaware of that, you might always, you know, if you're anxiously attached, you may always feel that your partner is going to abandon you. And because that is the perspective that you have, your mind is dialed in to look for proof of that, whether it's there or not. And you will unconsciously create that result in the relationship. Oftentimes yeah. people who fear abandonment are abandoned because they, they are so sure that it's going to happen to them that they actually create scenarios where it does. Right. That self-fulfilling prophecy. And you're right. So when we decide my partner's going to leave me, my partner doesn't love me anymore. Any little change, you know, for some folks in like facial expression, or he said this with a certain tone, or he was late from work, all this stuff, we build up that narrative about, yep, this, I, I told, I told you, I, I've seen all this evidence for this thing and not looking at all of the positive things. We can really turn down the volume on the positive things and turn up the volume on all of the negative things that kind of, that's uh, like that confirmation bias, right? I'm seeing what informs what I'm thinking here. So it must be true. Yes. And Esther Perel, who's a, a Belgian uh, psychotherapist, talks a lot about confirmation bias and how destructive that is in relationships and how it, for a lot of couples, will lead to excessive bickering in the relationship. Because using the example of you're late because you don't respect my time. So if I have it in my mind that you don't respect me and I'm constantly looking for proof that you don't, I'm going to find it. You know, the traffic could have made you late, but because I already feel that it's because you don't respect me, that's the story I'm going to start telling myself. And then I'm going to start telling my partner that they don't, res that they don't respect my time, which is going to make my partner defensive. And he's going to, he or she is going to want to fight back against that. So it's just, it, it's a vicious cycle when we, we are going to find proof of what we believe to be true. So why not believe the positive stuff is true? You're going to be having a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So that's a good segue to the next topic, which is managing conflict. And this is an important part of the sound house, because as we know, there is not going to be a relationship that doesn't have conflict. So what do we do about that, Michelle? Yeah, well, first of all, I, you know, conflict and breakdowns in communication are really the number one reason why folks are coming to couples therapy. What, what we see the most as being an issue, right? We'll, we'll do a consultation and nine times out of 10, you know, we want to learn how to communicate better. We want to learn how to communicate and navigate um, conflict when it comes up. And you're right, Laura, that relationships are always going to have conflict. There's always going to be something there that maybe, you know, brings up some sort of conflict. We're two different people. Um, so we're not always going to agree but the key is how do we manage it when it comes up so it doesn't turn into this huge explosive blow-up fight right we're just um you know really having the conflict in the healthiest way possible. So um, first, what you need to do when there's conflict is accept your partner's influence, meaning you take their feelings, their desires into account instead of doing everything your own way, right? You try to put yourself almost in their shoes to kind of try to see 
what they might be experiencing, you know, accepting their influence in terms of maybe they're saying something and, um, you know, maybe you don't agree with it, but you just acknowledge to your partner, okay, I can understand why you're feeling that way. It makes sense that you're feeling that way. We're not saying like, hey, you're absolutely right, but we're just acknowledging our partner's exist, uh, experience with that. So, um, you know, our dialogue is really important. So when you feel yourself getting really heated up during conflict, so we call that essentially um, emotional flooding. So when we're having conflict with our partner, um, it can get to a point where we're so activated that we're just only seeing the world through our emotions. We're not responding in the way that we want to respond, right? If we look at it the next day, like, oh gosh, I can't believe I said all of that to him. If you're getting to that place, that's a time where we need to pause the conflict and let your partner know, hey, I, I need to take an hour here. I, I need to just kind of calm down. Let your partner know, this is really important to me. I, I really want to be present for you, but I just can't right now. So let's come back to this a little bit later. And in that moment, you self-soothe, you distract yourself in some sort of way. So you do become more grounded and you can return to the conversation um, with a more open mind. You're thinking again with your rational mind and not just your emotional mind. Yes, that is so important. And like you said, when we work with couples, usually they have decided to seek therapy because they're having higher levels of conflict that they're not quite sure how to resolve. Um, and being flooded, we experience conflict with our partners like we're under attack. You go into fight or flight, fight or flight mode. So when that happens, you cannot People want to, especially anxious people, want to stay in the argument so they can resolve it in that moment. And you just can't. You're, you're, you're not thinking rationally. You're emotionally flooded. You are only going to do say things that are damaging to the relationship at that point. So it is always better to take a little break and walk away. But that can be very difficult for people, especially if they have... Um, past trauma or insecure attachment styles. So again, that might be something that you need to work through in individual therapy as well. If you notice that you can't take a break, that it's really hard for you to walk away from the relationship, from the conflict because you're so triggered. Mm -hmm. um, and this is probably a good time to talk about uh, communication styles and what the Gottmans identified as they call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So if this, if these aspects are coming up in your communication, it's probably going to lead to escalated conflict. So we want to be really mindful of these things, which are one criticism. So we've mentioned that a little bit before, but if you're giving feedback in a negative way, either saying you always do something, you never do something, or you're assuming a negative intention. You were trying to hurt me. You don't care about me. You don't respect me. That is probably going to escalate the conflict. Do you see that when you observe couples have conflict in the therapy room, Michelle, that the criticism kind of takes things to red in a, in a second? takes things to red in a second and it can lead to some of the other negative communication styles. So let's say I'm being overly criticized. Again, I am totally emotionally flooded at this point because like you said, we perceive it as some sort of attack. Um, so we can totally shut down. We can get to that emotionally flooded place. So if we're totally flooded, shut down, we're no longer responding to our partner. Um, so, um, you know, that obviously means they're gonna talk louder. They feel ignored. So it's gonna continue this, uh, 
debate essentially the conflict. Um, but what it also can do is lead to if I'm being criticized, I'm probably going to be defensive now. And that's another one of these um, uh, four horsemen that can really break down communication, especially during conflict. So, um, you know, you're telling me I didn't do the dishes. And when I come back to you and say, well, you didn't take the kids to school and you didn't make dinner last week and look at these, you know, dirty laundry everywhere, right? Instead of saying, you know, something if we were having a healthier dialogue, oh, you know what, I did miss that last week. I am sorry. And, you know, I'll, I'll pick up the kids every day this week or whatever it is. But again, accepting that influence, understanding where your partner's coming from and not totally just shutting down. But that criticism, yeah, can really fuel that if we're not giving positive feedback. Yes. So triggering probably the two most common of the horsemen, which is the criticism leads to defensiveness. And you talked about accepting your partner's influence, which oftentimes, is, especially if the feedback feels critical, we may not want to accept our partner's influence. We may want to defend ourselves. We feel like we're under attack. We want to prove what they're saying is wrong or deflect in some sort of way. And that will escalate conflict because the person who's giving the feedback or potentially criticism does not feel heard. They don't feel like they can get their point across. And so they, they continue to escalate trying to get their point across. So that is why, and couples have a hard time with this, when you're having conflict especially, is you want to always validate the other person's experience. You do not have to agree with it. You do not have to think that they're right. You don't, none of that. But you want to let them know that you hear what they're saying. And if you can find a place to, to agree with them or, or to just give some sort of positive feedback, that can be very effective in de-escalating. So if I said, hey, you know, you didn't make dinner the other night and it's just more proof that you don't care about my feelings or my time. Okay, maybe I know that I didn't make dinner because there was a big work call and I didn't get around to it. And there's all of these good reasons why I wasn't able to do it. And they have nothing to do with me not caring about my partner. But if I just launch into my defense, we're missing the whole point. My partner has come to me and they have said that their feelings are hurt, that they didn't feel cared for in that moment. And they've made an assumption about what your intention is, which is why you're getting defensive. But first you wanna start with, gosh, you know, I can see, I told you I was gonna make dinner and I can see why you would feel like I forgot about you or I didn't care about you. Now I know this isn't true. I'm not validating that it's true. I'm just validating their perspective. That small gesture can de-escalate things, but it is it is challenging. Do you do you find that with couples, Michelle, that like they when they're upset, validating is kind of the last thing that they want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. And that's where it's maybe sometimes taking that break can come in handy where we're, then we're able to um, validate, come back. It's kind of what, what we, you know, hopefully when we come back to a conflict, we want to repair what just happened. And part of that repair piece can be, um, you know, seeing our partner validating their experience. Um, so that can really be effective. Um, and, you know, the other, um, the fourth um horsemen, the other way of communicating during either conflict or just in general that really breaks down communication in relationships is contempt. So, and this is the one that really is the big predictor um, of uh, relationships leading to divorce or separation or breakup um, because it is so harsh. So it can be anything like I'm coming to you, let's say that bid for connection again, coming to you to tell you about this really exciting article I just read online and you just like sigh and roll your eyes or you walk away 
or on a much deeper level, maybe you're attacking that person's character, right? So it's not, you didn't do this, you always do this. It's, you know, you're stupid, you're ugly. It's, it's really that harsh stuff. And that is just not going to work um, over the long term. Yeah, it's positioning yourself in a place of superiority. So whether that's an eye roll or you were stupid to do it that way, you're putting yourself, you're making yourself superior to your partner and putting them down. And that, like you said, is the biggest predictor, high levels of contempt in a relationship. It's, you don't feel safe when somebody's contemptuous towards you. It's, it's just it, ongoing. If there's more contempt than positive parts of the relationship, it's not going to feel like a safe place and it's probably not going to make it. Right, right, absolutely. So the anecdote to um, to contempt is the shared fondness and admiration. The more you practice admiring your partner, looking for the positive things that they do, um, expressing why you feel positive towards them, the more challenging it is to get to that. And they do the same for you. It, you're you're less likely to to default into contempt because you're training your brain to look for the things that are going right. Exactly, exactly. And the positive perspective is really what you, if you notice that there's a lot of criticism in the relationship, that probably means that you are in what the Gottmans call negative sentiment override. You've had enough negative experiences with your partner that you're expecting that to happen all the time. And so it's probably leading to a lot of criticism and you may see negative things that aren't even there. And so just really practicing the positive perspective can, can switch that so that your interactions aren't critical, but you're looking, you're trying to catch your partner doing something right. You're not assuming the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing the, of the four horsemen is what the Gottmans call stonewalling. And this, again, is an indicator in conflict that it is time for a break, that you have just shut down. You're not even engaged anymore. It's kind of like the lights are on, but nobody's home. And you're probably mm -hmm. actively ignoring your partner's attempts to get your attention. That is another fantastic time to say like, hey, I'm overwhelmed right now. I'm flooded right now. I need to walk away from this conversation for a while, a little while. But you also, when you do that, when you take a break, you need to be, a, you need to let them know they're not being abandoned. So I need a break, but I'm coming back to this in an hour. I, I need to calm myself or collect my thoughts. You don't want it to be punitive. Like you did something wrong and now I won't talk to you because that's going to escalate the conflict even more. Yeah, if we're taking that break, we need to walk away. That means don't slam the door. <laughs> that means, you know, don't make it a punishing activity, right? Uh, oh, I'm just so done with you. I need to get away from you, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, but, and like you said, let the par your partner know that you're not abandoning them. So setting a time limit on that. So, um, and this is very helpful for um, partners who are anxiously attached to hear, I will, you know, I let's, let's, We'll take a break here. Let's come back to this in two hours. Or I'm going to take a walk. I'll be back. So that really helps the anxiously attached partner because we just walk away. Our anxiously attached partner is going to think, okay, this is over. They're breaking up with me. They're going to go into that worst case scenario. So we need to affirm that we will be back. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, and it can be small things sometimes that can trigger that fear in somebody that they're that you have just walked away and you didn't say anything and all the, in their mind, all of a sudden the relationship's over because you've triggered the anxiety. So we definitely, and then that doesn't help resolve conflict either. So we yeah. definitely don't want to do that. All right, Michelle. Well, I think it's time for another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss the final floors of the Gottman Soundhouse, making life dreams come true and sharing meaning in your relationship. And if you're interested in 
the sound house of your relationship and you want to learn more, you can schedule a complimentary consultation with me or Michelle or any of the other therapists at Anchorlight at anchorlighttherapy.com slash get started. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. I'm Nathan Mum, and I'm the host of Tech Time Radio. Saturdays from 4 to 5 p.m., you can listen to our show live. The hosts cover top tech stories with a funny spin. That's good. So, Hooked on phonics worked for you, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Grab your weekly technology without having to geek out. Yeah, I can imagine. Only on Tech Time Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We talk technology for the everyday common person. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Knorr with your health tip of the day from the African-American Wellness Project. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer for men. African-American men are more at risk. That's primarily because it's often diagnosed when it's more advanced. The good news is that diagnosed early in most prostate cancer can be treated effectively. If you're a man over 50 or have a family history of prostate cancer, talk to your doctor today about a test. For more information, visit aawellnessproject.org. Don't let that herd mentality lead you off a cliff. We support thinking for yourself on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Holding Ground. We're here live every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on KKNW, 1150 a.m. in Seattle, and all podcast forms, platforms. Um, and don't forget to find us on social media. We have a lot of great content, a lot of helpful mental health uh, tools and reminders. Also, there's some humor in there. And you can also catch a preview of our upcoming podcast on our social media as well. So we're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, so check us out. Fantastic. Okay, so we're talking about the relationship sound house and now we're to the sixth floor. Um, and that is making life dreams come true. So the beauty of having a partner or really good companionship is that you have someone who will not only encourage you in your goals, but also help you reach them. And this is one of the reasons why we like to be in partnership with other people is that sometimes with a little help, it's easier to achieve our goals. And also we get to be that person for our partner where we're supporting them in their life dreams and therefore sharing that experience with them. When I was doing a little reading about this this morning, I read a story um, that Glennon Melton Doyle had written about her partner, Abby Wambach, and that Aunt Abby had gone to the World Cup or, or um, some important tournament um, and had achieved one of her big lifetime goals. And so um, she, Abby Wambach is a professional soccer player for people who don't know who she is. Um, but she was talking about the, Lennon was talking about the experience of being able to share that with, with her family and with her wife and that how fulfilling it was not only to, to be part of, of helping her wife get there and supporting her to get there, but also what a fulfilling experience it was for her personally to share that experience with her partner. So that I think is a great example of a couple supporting each other's life dreams coming true. Do you have any other examples of that, Michelle, with, with partners that you've worked with or people in the media? 
Um, yeah, a partner I worked with actually a little bit ago or a couple, I should say, um, the, what brought them to couples therapy actually was a conflict over the, um, wife wanting to pursue her, uh, PhD. So she was ready to move up in her, uh, academic career as well as her professional career. And they kept having conflict around this because, you know, maybe it's not the right time. We just had a baby. We want to have another baby. I'm working from home. I can't have you gone all the time, that sort of thing. But this was really her passion and you know as individuals we need to be able to explore these things and achieve these things out you know as an individual and have our partner support us so eventually we got to a point where they did compromise and she did actually um, decide to go back to school and we figured out a way to work with their schedule and all of that and you know he was always supportive but he was just um, kind of from that maybe also not the positive perspective looking for all the reasons why this wouldn't work versus you know what my wife really wants to do this we can figure this out as a unit and so they did come to that um, decision that they could make that work yeah and that probably in the end will be a very fulfilling experience for them as as a couple because what can be damaging to relationships if you feel that your partner is a hindrance to you trying to achieve what you want to achieve in your life you know and that sometimes comes down to compatibility too, that sometimes people are just not on the same page. They're not on the same journey. And so it's going to be difficult for them to support each other because one person wants something very different than the other person. But hopefully we've found partners where we are compatible enough that we can support their life vision and they can support ours. Um, in, and that will just deepen our friendship and we will have a more meaningful, happy relationship because of that. So Laura, our final floor is create shared meaning. So this looks a lot like love maps. So understanding, um, you know, what our partner's day to day is, right? Favorite, best friend, all of that, that we discussed in the beginning, which was our first floor. But this is the love maps of your relationship as a couple. So um, it's what these things really mean for your understanding and building your inner world together. Um, so the way that we do this is um, the Gottmans think of it as a developing a culture of of symbols and rituals that you um, express and figure out as a team. So symbols are things like, what does home mean? What does sex mean? Um, what does money mean? What does play mean, right? What do all of these symbols represent in your relationship as a couple? Um, and you get to decide that having these conversations earlier on, on, you know, the better, right? What does children mean? What does family mean? Are we doing these things? Are we gonna have a family? Is it just gonna be us? That sort of thing, like all of the symbols what do they mean for us? And the rituals part is really important. And this is something I always encourage clients to do right off the bat to practice um, in between sessions is creating rituals, um, things that you will do as a team. So it can be something as simple as, you know, every Friday night, we're getting takeout, we're going to light some candles. Um, you know, maybe every morning, I'm going to bring you a coffee, maybe each year when we celebrate each other's birthdays, we do it in a really unique and fun and exciting way. So these rituals of connection really define us as a unit and we create them together and it can be really fun and rewarding. I agree. I always have couples who are in for any reason we talk about rituals of connection. A lot of times they've they've abandoned any rituals of connection that they had or maybe they never really had them in the first place. And they because sometimes I think people put a lot of weight on it. Like I need to create this big special moment. It's got to be a big date night and we've got to get a babysitter and we got to go to an expensive restaurant and we have to do all these things. 
And it's great to do that sometimes. It's definitely fun and you should hopefully have big date nights in your life. But that it that sometimes can only, especially if you have little kids, so for some people that might only happen once or twice a year. So we need to have things that we can practice daily or at least weekly where we feel connected with our partner. And that might be having a glass of wine at the end of the day and, and talking about your day together or having a cup of tea before you go to bed. Or it could even just be little quick things. Like I always give you a hug and a kiss when I come in the door and when I leave for the day. But that's something that we've established, like we're reestablishing our connection with each other every time we do this little ritual. Um, taking the dog for a walk at the end of the day together. Or, you know, a lot of partners go to bed at different times, which can uh, cr create conflict in the relationship or a sense of disconnect. Yeah. Maybe the one who goes to bed later tucks the one who goes to bed earlier in and they say goodnight to each other. I mean, just little things that you can incorporate into your day that allows you some connection with your partner. And it doesn't have to be big things. It could be something that takes five to 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, side note on that, I, I work with a lot of couples that have that issue around, you know, I, my partner doesn't come to bed with me, he stays up and he plays video games, and I just want him to, you know, do something with me. So yeah, that tucking in, I have a couple that now does that, he tucks her in before she goes to bed, or like agreeing three nights a week, we'll go to bed at the same time, and the rest of the week, you know, I'll kind of do my thing um, after you go to bed. So, um, and these rituals of connection, like you said, Laura, I'll, I'll ask clients, and you know, what, what, how do you connect? What is something that you to do together, you know, intentionally daily or weekly. And sometimes the answer is just nothing, right? Oh, we, we don't do anything, right? So it's incorporating those very little things. I'm going to help you put on your jacket or, you know, whatever it is, I'll call your Uber for you, you know, yeah, any yeah. little thing that we can do for each other every day um, is really just how, you know, another way we can connect. Yes. And oftentimes by the time couples come to therapy, they have lost these, they've lost connection with each other, which, and so they're not doing these types of things. And these are little things you can do to connect. And also uh, bedtime seems to be a, a big issue that because there's mm -hmm. a lot of different reasons why maybe people don't go to bed at the same time, or maybe they don't sleep well together. Maybe somebody has sleep apnea or restless legs or, or, you know, insomnia. And so for whatever reason, they don't have that connection with each other. That's completely fine. If that doesn't work in your relationship, um, a lot of couples feel a lot of shame about that or that there's something wrong with their yeah. relationship if they're not sleeping at the same time. But you don't have to sleep at the same time. That's okay. But you need to find other ways that, you're, that you have rituals of connection. That mm -hmm. doesn't have to be the only one. Maybe you make dinner together. Like maybe I said, like a walk at night. You know, there's, there's all different things that you can do. Well, I'm, that is it, I think, for today, Michelle. I mean, we have discussed the Sound Relationship House and um, how important that is. And the heart of that is that couples need these steps to really have trust and commitment in their relationship, that that is the foundation of a happy, healthy, sustainable, long-term relationship. And so using these different steps or examining these different floors in your relationship can really give you the structure to build that uh, foundation. And it does take a little work to do these things. You know, as we've talked about before in early relationships, sometimes it's easier in the infatuation stage. And then as life, as you, as you get to know each other, as life goes on and you experience challenges together, it can be easy to move away from these things. But with a little bit of effort, you can maintain that strong relationship that you had in the beginning. Exactly, exactly. Well, we are out of time for today, but we'll be back next Monday morning at 9 a.m. or on all podcast platforms with more in the world of therapy and podcasts.
positive mental health. So thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next Monday. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll see you next week.